All right, everybody, welcome in episode two of the College Basketball Podcast, the Dream Preview, RJ Bell's Dream Preview, pregame.com's Dream Preview. I'm AJ Hoffman. He is Griffin Warner. Griff, how you doing, bud? I'm great. Happy Sunday. How are you, AJ? I'm doing all right, man. I'm in lovely Denver, Colorado today. So it's uh, I'm, I'm not in, I'm in a hotel room. I'm, in, I'm not in my comfort zone. Uh, the, like I think because of COVID, the Hilton doesn't give out cookies anymore. Ooh. And it's just a it's it's basically a shithole now. If, if are you no are you high in the Rockies, uh, Bill Walton style? Uh, no, not yet, but it's, it's early yet, as they say, it's, it's early yet. Uh, so let's, let's start off with how we did last week. And my my best bet was Wofford plus eight and a half. And there's a bit of controversy because someone tweeted us and was like, Oh, a loser to start it off. And I was like, wait a minute, friend. I don't know that that was a loser because I bet it at eight and a half, eight and a half. We gave it out at eight and a half. That was a uh, that wasn't one of the lines that we had to create. That was a line that was available at literally every book, and it was available into the morning. So I I know that it pushed down to seven, and then I think it ended up closing at seven and a half or eight. How how are we grading Wofford plus eight and a half when they win by eight points? Do we is it a win? Is it a loss? Is it a push? What are we looking at? Uh, I I think you give it a win. Um, it was out. You were made made it available for the people. Uh, get on these things early. Hopefully everyone's listening to these podcasts as soon as they drop. Um, because there's important things with lines moving. We're basically playing the stock market and then hoping our bets win on top of the stock. Guessing which way the stock moves. Um, certainly a little bit complicated, but, uh, I think, I think I support a win here for, for AJ and we need one for the podcast. What about Western Kentucky? Do, was that a win? Uh, it was not a win. Uh, it was a, (laughs) a favorite at a neutral site that never led. Um, and I think as I addressed on the last podcast, I'm pretty particular with my favorites. Um, and it was a pretty disappointing showing. I think the, uh, kibosh was put down when Minnesota was labeled the worst packs or power six team. Uh, and they made a million threes more than I expected. And, uh, you know, it was a rough start, but we're, uh, we're going to get back on the horse. Yeah. Maybe I should have kept that Minnesota being the worst, uh, power <laughs> six team to myself. That, that might've been the, the move. I think they heard you. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into what we, what we've got to look ahead to. These games are all going to be taking place between Monday and Thursday. So, Again, none of these lines are currently available, so we are projecting all of these lines. We'll try and give you a lean or a like on all the big games coming up this week, and then we'll have our best bets, and we'll certainly give you a buy price on those best bets uh, and and a number that we'll play it to, and and that will be what we'll be graded on when there's not uh, an available line uh, for us to bet. So let's get started with I believe this one's Tuesday night BYU and Oregon BYU off a big win against San Diego State what do you think of this one you know um and, and you had BYU if, if I remember correctly is that right I did um, I did have BYU so I, and we'll call this one Oregon three for the for the sake of the what what we're projecting Oregon minus three here on a neutral got it yeah playing the Moda Center in Portland I actually went to a tournament there Phil Knight's 80th birthday a couple years back. Um, to see a couple Texas losses, and I would like to not address uh, what happened <laughs> yesterday uh, in both sports in the same primetime window. Anywho, um, so I was expecting Oregon to be a four-point favorite here, um, so around where this number is. And, and I got to say, so I, I went against Oregon in their opener. 
uh, or maybe not their opener, whenever they played SMU the other night. And they were really good from start to finish, made a ton of shots, and that was something I wasn't sure they would do. I, I figured defense would be there, um, but they made SMU, uh, and I'm recording this from from SMU territory. I, I live pretty close to Highland Park, and uh, it was a beat down from start to finish. SMU hung in for a little while, but ultimately Oregon were too good. Uh, and I'm pretty impressed by them. I got to say, um, they're on a list of, of potential futures that I sent to you way back when, um, I, I really like what, what we're looking at with them. Dana Altman always is, is one of the most trustworthy guys out there. Uh, I didn't catch as much of the BYU San Diego state game as I had hoped. I, I saw the last few minutes as, as BYU was kind of holding on for dear life. Um, I know that you talked about loner a lot coming in, uh, replacing Matt Harms, which is going to be a big deal for them. Uh, and the Barcelo being a top 20 uh, player in the country was something I was a little bit surprised to hear, but he's been so good ever since transferring from Arizona. Uh, I, I, I'm curious about BYU and how they handle the Oregon athleticism. Jacob Young, uh, say what you want about him, but he's so fast, so electric with the ball in his hands. And if they're going to all make shots, I mean, I don't know how you beat Oregon. But now when you take into consideration uh, a three-point spread at a neutral site, um, that starts to get into a little bit asking a lot because neutral court games are, it's, it's tough to win. You don't have any real crowd support in Portland. You might get a little bit, but I'm just, I'm not sure how much traveling there'll be. Certainly the, I would imagine a lot of, uh, alums from Oregon are, are settled in the Portland area. So there, sh- there should be a pretty decent crowd, but BYU travels really well. Uh, what, what are you thinking about this one? Uh, my initial thought, I think maybe we felt the same thing coming into the season. Like we weren't really sure about Oregon and I thought, there's no way Oregon will be as good as they were a year ago because they, they lost Chris Duarte. Like you don't lose guys like that and get better. But then like, as I was watching them play against SMU and they really did just, it wasn't even close. I mean, they were, they dominated that team and that's a pretty good SMU team. But as I'm watching, I'm like, Oh, I forgot that uh, Nafali Dante that, that like he, I forgot he tore his ACL in like three games last year. And then he was just gone. I forgot that Will Richardson missed basically like over half the season. And then they add in guys like Gary and, and uh, Devion Harmon, which uh, Harmon is important from Oklahoma because if Richardson goes down again, now they've actually got a backup point guard, which you, you remember they played most of last season without a point guard. Yep. And it, like it may, I started thinking about it. It's like maybe they'll actually be better this year which sounds crazy but like you said I know the defense is going to be there like this is one of the, the best coach teams in the country and they they're if they get scoring and, and it looks like they're gonna they're gonna get some they're gonna be really dangerous and that BYU game if you watch the last five minutes of it that's pretty much all you needed to watch uh it was it was a coin flip game at the end um I, I feel like I was on the right side but it's you know, and I and I got rewarded for it. But it wasn't. It certainly wasn't like a runaway. And and really, you're not going to run away from San Diego State. You're not. Period. Um, but what I will say is, BYU can ill afford to shoot three from twenty two from outside in this one, and that's what they did against the Aztecs. So I I think maybe what's happened is is I'm going to I'm going to lean towards the Ducks staying hot until they prove that my preseason thoughts about them were were actually right because right now I'm starting to think my preseason thoughts on them were wrong you know and and like I said it's I didn't even watch their their opener I I did watch that SMU game and I was really really impressed and I I think this this team is going to end up being a lot better than I thought it was 
So I'll lean Oregon minus three here. Yeah, I think I'm with you. Um, neutral sites, it's, it's scary to lay points, uh, as you can see with a team like Western Kentucky. But uh, I think a lot about Oregon teams is that they generally don't start the year as hot as they do. And they peak kind of mid to late conference season, which is the perfect time. And I think uh, Dan Altman's a pro and knows what he's doing. But if they're going to be that good from the beginning, uh, I'm really scared about trying to be against them at all. I think BYU are a solid team. If they can close a week pretty much, calendar week or not a calendar, whatever, uh, with a win against San Diego State at home and then Oregon on the at, on a neutral, that would be incredible for uh, seeding down the line uh, and really might even put them in a position to challenge Gonzaga in, in the WCC. But I, I got to say, from, from where I'm sitting right now, it's going to be hard for me to go against Oregon, knowing that they play such good defense and, and coming off a hot shooting performance that maybe it happens again. So I'm with you on the minus three. All right, let's take a look at Virginia at Houston. We'll project Houston minus around eight. Uh, and I would say Virginia losing outright to Navy was probably one of the bigger surprises on opening night. Would you agree? Uh, a surprise in the result, I think, in, in who the straight-up winner was, but I was looking at Navy. Not that it was close, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at Navy, and I was thinking that uh, it's just hard to really project what a what a Naval Academy or Military Academy team looks like. Um, not a lot of turnover, but ultimately with Virginia, I feel like they've lost a lot of really important pieces, and I, I'm worried about them. Uh, I'm not really a fan because they did end my Texas Tech future in the title way back when, but they're <laughs> replacing a lot of people, and, and I think that's a big deal. Yeah, so what I didn't expect from the Naval Academy is for them to out-rebound Virginia. That shouldn't happen. You know, like the, the big men on Navy are like six foot seven. Right. And Virginia getting beat on the glass is just ridiculous. And Navy shot better than 50% from three. So they, I mean, it took a lot for them to get it going. But I think this, this, the problem with this Virginia team is kind of the same they had last year is they don't really have enough weapons to get them by on offense when their defense isn't elite. And it's usually going to be very good. But again, Navy gets hot from three. They're they're hitting fifty percent of their threes. Virginia just doesn't have an answer for that. And it looks like Jaden Gardner looks like he wants to be that dude. I mean, he's he is certainly a willing shooter. Armand Franklin in the second game looked like he's a willing guy. But I, I don't think either one of them is going to be consistent enough to be like the go to guy on offense. So I I don't trust their offense a whole lot right now. But then Houston. It's funny, they almost suffered the same fate there on opening night. It took overtime for them to get by Hofstra, and they bounced back nicely, though. They plowed Rice. I saw a lot of people who were like, oh, Rice is a good side, good side, Rice, and then Houston just hammered Rice. Uh, And really, both those wins came on dominant performances from Marcus Sasser, and you're going to get a lot of those this year. He is going to – in that conference – there's not a lot of guys who are going to be able to slow him down. The question for UH is going to be who can be a secondary performer if if Sasser is taken away or slowed down. And I think that this is the kind of game where he could be taken away. And Virginia is the kind of team defensively that can frustrate a player like Sasser who wants to be free for open looks. And it, Virginia is not going to just let you stand out there and, and chuck it over them, especially if you if you've got a guy like that. They're going to slow that guy down. I think this is a low scoring game. I think that 
games like this are where Houston kind of misses Grimes and Giroux, like the guys who can actually score for the Cougs, and, and they, it gave them options. I don't know that they have that yet. They may find it uh, as the season goes on. But I think in a game that's probably played in the 120s or so, it feels like Virginia, if they're getting eight points, is probably the better side here. What do you think? Yeah, so I'm not going to argue about uh, taking that type of number because um, even with late fouls, uh, it's a long way to get to eight uh, when you're trading two points for three-point shots, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I will be uh, fully <laughs> – I'll admit I was on the Rice uh, side uh, and, and and they got <laughs> hammered. Uh I, I came in, watched a fair amount of Rice last year, but didn't really act on them. Thought that they'd have a pretty decent offensive performance. Um, was definitely worried about Houston coming off uh, lackluster performance in the opener, having to go to, to overtime against Hofstra, as you mentioned. Hofstra might be a little bit better than I think uh, anybody thought they were based on taking Houston to, to OT, but I think they were locked in from the beginning. And Houston was, I think, I think Rice had five points through 14 minutes. And Really, they were just locking down anything that that what I thought was going to be a decent Rice offense could do. Um, And I think that same sort of thing is going to happen to Virginia. It's hard for me to argue against taking eight points on a team, like you said, in a very slow slow paced game that's going to play great defense. But I'm a little bit worried about Virginia and kind of the new pieces that they're trying to work in there that they're not up to the Tony Bennett standards. And I think from last year and how poor Virginia was relative relatively that I'm, I'm worried about them and kind of want to be against them. Cause I think they still have, uh, I don't think the, the luster has worn off what they did and winning a national championship a couple of years ago and being so dominant for a five or six year period. So, um, I'm probably not going to be touching Virginia after getting demolished by Houston. The last time I played it, can't blame you for looking at the eight. Um, but I think, I think you're right on a low scoring game, but I, I might even, if I had the gun to my head, I think I might play Houston here. All right, let's we, now this is something we're not going to do very often because we try to find the the best games of the week the, of the upcoming week or the weekend when we do our our uh, Friday release. So we're not going to have a lot of double digit spreads I don't think. And boy, were we right on about the Gonzaga Texas spread. It, oh, yeah. it I said there's no way it's 10. It's going to be seven and a half, and it was seven and a half on the on the money. Uh probably should have been 10 in hindsight, <laughs> yeah. but uh Seton Hall at Michigan and I project Michigan probably minus 12 here. I think this is just a really intriguing matchup, and I see some real value with Hall here. And uh, we're recording Sunday morning. Seton Hall is going to play Yale today. It should be a, a an interesting game. But I, I, I made money early on, on Seton Hall, and I, I think that they have the right kind of team to, to not get – trucked by this Michigan team and these are two teams that project probably top 20 defenses this season and both of them rely on size more than a typical team does in 2021 and obviously I mean Hunter Dickinson's one of the the best players in the country he's a big man it's a rare thing that Michigan's got but Seton Hall is is one of the few teams that has a couple 6'10, 6'11, 7 footers they can throw in that guy. And like Samuel Jackson, these these are these are key guys that are not only big, but they're Seton Hall's best players too. Um I, what we saw from Seton Hall in the first game, they shot 54% from three. I I doubt they're gonna do that many times this season. But Bryce Aiken, who's playing his 30th year of college basketball this year, <laughs> I think, it, when when he's healthy. 
that's what he is. He's going to stand out there, and especially with a a bunch of big men down low, he's going to get a lot of open looks. And if you leave that kid open, he's he's going to hit a ton of threes. Uh, and right now he's healthy. So I, I think that Seton Hall has kind of the bodies to throw at Hunter Dickinson and slow him down and make Michigan beat them some other way, which they probably will. But are they going to beat them by double digits? I, I don't know that I see that happening. I think this is a, a tough matchup for Michigan. Yeah, uh, AJ, I completely agree. With I was very surprised to see Dickinson come back for another year in college, actually. I thought he was going to the pros for sure. Um, but I, I completely agree with what you're saying with Obiagu coming in to defend Dickinson. I think that's going to be a big problem because he's not going to be able to kind of boss him around. I don't know that you see Ike Obiagu playing 25 minutes, to, to be frank, but um, just having a little bit of a bigger body to try to maybe even throw in when, whenever Dickens is in the game, bring Obiagu in and try to use him as much as he can until he picks up his four fouls, like as is custom. Um, and, and I got to say, I, I'm a believer in Kevin Willard. I think he was on the fence and was about to get fired for so many years at Seton Hall and really started to kind of put it together. And uh, I remember even going to a couple games at the Rockway back when and seeing him like around at a bar afterwards, like drinking a beer, talking about how he's hoping to keep his job. Uh, and I don't know if that was like a funny thing or, or, or what, but uh, Seton Hall have, have responded to that under him. He had a really good team a couple years ago. Um, we're probably going to be a two, three seed, maybe four seed uh, before COVID ended up canceling the March Madness. And I had a future on them at 80 to one and really liked my chances with uh, Miles Powell. So uh, seeing Bryce Aiken on a roster available, I mean, who knows how long that'll last. He's like, as you said, six years in college basketball, something like that. Uh, but he's a, a, a knockdown shooter when he's available, and I think he will be for this match. Uh, also think it's a big deal bringing in Yetna, transfer from South Florida, add some 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 skill at the four position, which I think is the most crucial position besides the guards uh, in, in this sport. Um, I, I think getting to 12 is hard for me to see. I think Michigan at the Chrysler Center have, have done a really good job of blowing teams out, and that's something I'm worried about if considering to, uh, a play on Seton Hall. But um, pretty much if, if you can avoid a blowout here with a 12-point spread as we're projecting, uh, I, I couldn't get to that number. I, I had it below 10 when I was trying to make these lines on my own. And I, I really do like uh, Miles Kale has, has really grown up in that system, is, is a, a lockdown shooter. Kadari Richmond uh, transfer, I think, from Syracuse who came in. Uh, and that's, that's a big deal to me that they have some depth, some talented depth. Um, and, and I think this could be a very close game. Yeah, I'll I'll be on Seton Hall if that if that number pops up as double digits. I I, I don't I mean if it's ten I, I'll be on Seton Hall. If it's twelve, I'm gonna love Seton Hall. I think. Uh, all right, let's look at Michigan State at Butler, uh, and we'll project Michigan State minus two here. Obviously, Michigan State the f- the first thing we see of them is against Kansas, and I think that tournament, or at least that I shouldn't say tournament that that tip off thing with the champions classic you where could we call see it a these, tournament okay where we see these four teams duke kentucky kansas michigan state it's it was maybe a little unfair right right now it's a little unfair to put michigan state in that group because i think people think oh well these are four of the best teams in the country and the truth is michigan state's nowhere near what those other three are right now like this michigan state team has a lot of work to do and it, it it showed against Kansas. Kansas is significantly better than them. What Michigan State really like this is mostly the team that underperformed last year, and then they added 
Max Christie, who is like a, a super recruit and watching him against Kansas. Like you can see the the way he moves, the way he, he can get a shot. It's like, okay, this guy is going to be good. But then he shot like five of 19 and he's just, he feels like everything's got to be on him. And maybe that's him. Maybe that's, that's Izzo saying, Hey, everything's got to be on you because we don't have enough guys who can score. But him chucking up shots early in the clock, uh, he's got to become a better shooter. He's got to be better on his timing. I, I think if Michigan State figures this out, it's going to come later in the season. And you could maybe say the same thing for Butler, who, well, this season was really like, I, I don't know about your preseason work, but mine mostly consisted of who moved where, what players from this team moved to this team. And it's like every, everybody got shuffled around. There's more players coming back this year than ever before and then with butler it's i mean they're almost a whole new squad i mean they're starting four underclassmen and then they start bryce gold and the senior down low but there's two freshmen two sophomores we don't know a lot about them but what i've seen of them they look pretty solid so I, i'm not mostly because i i'm not a buyer on michigan state if i if i had to look at a side here it's going to be butler because I just feel like they've they're they're putting things together nicely. They're a different kind of team right now, and maybe playing against Michigan State is too much for a really young team, you know, this early in the season. But I just don't think Michigan State's figured it out yet, and I don't think they're going to figure it out until late in the season, like they did last year. What do you think? So I think both of these teams are similar in that both are going to be a lot better uh, towards the back end of the season than they are at the beginning. Um, I do think that Michigan State starts from uh, a higher point, though, as Butler, as you mentioned, have, are replacing a lot. Uh, and I think Butler under Laval Jordan have really looked like a team centered around its big guys, which is so different than what Butler was uh, back in the day. I know Matt Howard was really important to their run under Brad Stevens. and But I feel like they were really a, a three-point and guard-centered team. I'm not sure they're that way anymore. And I got to say, Butler as a small favorite, at home in conference play against some of the better teams in the big East is something I'm very interested in playing against. And that's, I think that's been really good to the, the ROI or the bankroll in the past uh, in terms of this match or this game, I think Butler are going to have a, a great, great crowd behind them as they always do at Hinkle. And that's something that's going to be important. I am looking at their, their early season schedule though, facing IUPUI central Arkansas and Troy. Whereas, as you mentioned, Michigan state got a, a test and, and suffered a loss but at least got to play a really big team like Kansas. And I think, yeah. as you mentioned, in that event, they're just not on the same level as the rest of those teams. And part of me wonders if they eventually get that uh, that invite revoked or once Izzo goes, whenever he retires, if that's – I don't know how soon that will be. I'm not going to project that today. But uh, I, I wonder if they go for another team because they're they're clearly the the fourth of four in, in, that, in that grouping. So for the most part from where I sit, uh, I'm not really a big fan of land points in the road, especially in good home environments like Butler will have. I do think Michigan starts or Michigan State starts with from from a higher point in terms of team talent. Uh, I think the Christie recruit looked really good to me from what I saw. I thought, uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Hogart, Hoggard um, was it really good at the point running it against Kansas and I think had some decent success before Kansas were eventually able to pull away. Um, I think Michigan State responded really well with a blowout win over Western Michigan. Uh, on Friday. And I, I think they're in a, a good position to succeed. I think as an underdog, I'd be very interested in Michigan state, but I just, I don't think we're going to get there. Uh, and I would imagine that 
if you're into Butler, you probably want to play it near the close. I think that number is going to climb based on popularity at Michigan State. I would say uh, I agree with that sentiment that if you want Butler, you, you wait. I think you could say the same thing in this this next game, which is the last game that we'll go over. Ohio State at Xavier, and we're going to project Ohio State minus one because that's what the numbers say to project it. But I would bet if you want Xavier, you're going to get three or more by the time it's all settled. Um, what's your what's your initial thoughts on this OSUX game? Sure. So um, Xavier – a couple of years ago was who I would want to back as a home dog or slight home favorite, small home favorite forever. Uh, I think the transition from Chris Mack, um, it hasn't been as smooth though, to be honest on the other side, Chris Holtman has not been perfect either. Uh, but this is his time to shine early in the season. I do think, and I have some concerns about Xavier and their health right now. I mean, starting the year off two and uh, close win against Niagara and then beating Kent state, who's a decent uh, team from the Mac pretty handily. Uh, and they, they returned a ton of players, a ton of important players, but I haven't seen uh, Kiki Tandy playing yet, nor have I seen uh, Fremantle, uh, who are listed on the roster. I don't know if they're dealing with suspensions or injuries, but haven't seen them yet. And that's a concern for me because uh, Ohio State are, are a talented Big Ten team, brought in Wheeler, transferred from Penn State in the offseason, and that's pretty important. Plus, Gerald Liddell seems to be the best player in this game. So, um, Another type of big spot, Ohio State's a, a big, I'm not sure it's a rival for Ohio State in their mind, but I think they are to Xavier, and that's a really big game for them. Crowd should be nuts, and you know the home team returning a ton of players I think is a decent decent spot to look because ultimately I think Ohio State, in showing that they're a little bit vulnerable in the, the close near loss to Akron in the opener, um, I just think from, from my point of view, if you can find a way to slow down Liddell, I think, I think Xavier are, are worth a look. So Fremantle's out for probably the next six weeks. He's got a foot injury right now, and he, okay. he's been in a boot. So I, I wouldn't expect to see him for you know in, anytime soon, certainly. But Xavier, you're right. The coaching has not been what it was uh, under Mac, and it's it's been kind of a, a big drop off. But they returned so many guys, uh, and and really, this was a team that was looking really sharp last season until they got hit with COVID. And that's that's the kind of team that I'm I think I'm gonna like this year. Like they they missed almost like a month and a half with COVID issues. And if so if you go five weeks, they went five weeks and played one game and hardly practiced. And when you bring back all the guys that went through that, I think those guys are going to be motivated. I think they're going to be solid, you know I, I think bringing, I mean, Scruggs, who I didn't think was going to come back. I, I mean, that's that's great for them. I, Nate Johnson coming back, I think that's great. Uh, Fremantle certainly kind of the foundation of that of that front court, but getting those Big Ten transfers in gives them some depth there. Uh, I, I think that this team is going to be good when they're healthy. I think asking them to go to Ohio State and, and play with this team right now and. It's it's wild when you look at Ohio State and you, you think they lose Dwayne Washington, they they lose uh, C.J. Walker, they lose uh, Musa Jallo, and they're still really really good. That's like man, it, it, that tells you how how much they had with E.J. Liddell and uh, and Kyle Young and these guys who this is this is going to be a good team again. And even Seth Towns, who I'm excited to see play, if Seth Towns can stay healthy. 
he, you know, kind of, we talked about Bryce Aiken, Seth Towns, another Ivy league transfer. Who's, you know, got a, he, I mean, he was probably the best player in the Ivy league for, for a couple of years. And, and now he's, he's on Ohio state, a guy who can give you some kind of instant offense off the bench. I like this Ohio state team. I, I, I think if you want them, you better play them early. And, but I'm also not super heavy advising a play against Xavier because I, I, I do think that this team is, I mean, they're, they look as much like they did a year ago as anybody, which I think in, in this season is, is going to be a big benefit. Yeah. I think from, sorry, I called him Gerald Liddell earlier. Uh, EJ, as you, you correctly said, uh, there's a Gerald Liddell in college basketball somewhere else that I'm thinking of, but uh, I think kind of along the same line. So Xavier at home here is something that interests me um, just because I, I think Ohio state are very talented and certainly may have a better roster, but I think Xavier's pretty strong bringing in, as you mentioned, the big 10 transfers, uh, Hunter from, from Indiana, Nunji from, from Iowa, uh, Scruggs who came back, Kunkel, a Belmont transfer sharpshooter who is either starting or coming off the bench as a, as a six man and seems to be a go-to shooter, uh, down the stretch. I think if there's anything that I want here at Xavier as a, a slight underdog, if they are at home, uh, if we're projecting that it's going to climb from the, uh, I guess at one point favorite currently uh, on Ken Palm, but I know you're using a mixture. So we'll see where this number comes, but I think it's going to be a short line no matter what. And the home home court is what I'd be looking at and Xavier here. Yeah, I mean, if you get, if you get three points, I, I think Xavier can be a look. I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but if you do get three, I, I think that's the, uh, that's the way to go. All right. Well, let's get into the the good stuff to our best bets. And I will kick it off, and I will go with the Colgate Raiders minus seven at Cornell. Uh, Brad, can you actually look up what what time that game is going to be played at, so we can have a, a better idea? But uh, I again, this is a line that I'm projecting that Ken Palm and Bart Torvik are, are helping me project because I'm not smart enough to project by myself. You're doing well. Um, but I, I would play Colgate to nine and a half. So if you if you get Colgate and single digits, it's going to to be a best bet for me. And I, I don't think anyone would expect Colgate to be better than they were last year because Jordan Burns was so great. But this is clearly, clearly much more than a one man gang. Like this is a legit mid major program. And Matt Langle, clearly the best coach in in the Patriot League. And has built a really stacked program relative to that level of competition. I think they'll be a tournament team again. I don't see another Patriot League team overtaking them. I mean, I guess maybe Boston's the next bestie, and I think they're a ways back. Um, and I think Nellie Cummings might have been the second best player in the Patriot League last year. And I don't think he's that far off of what what Burns was. And then you take a guy like Jack Ferguson, who shot over 50% from three last season. This is like a, a legit sharpshooter. You've got a solid front court. This is going to be one of the best, mid, best mid-major teams in the country again. And then Cornell is 2-0, and which to be fair, is better than I would have expected. However, those two wins are over Binghamton and Lafayette, both who are outside of Ken Palm's top 300. Though they, they beat some bad teams they're still going to end up being one of the worst teams in the Ivy, if not the worst team. I guess Columbia is is battling them for that. They returned one player who averaged more than seven points per game in 2019, which is the last year that they played, obviously. It's a team full of – I mean, it's a team full of Ivy League freshmen and sophomores. They just aren't proven yet. 
And, I, you know, you, you mentioned that you watched the whole game, the Colgate and NC State game before we started recording. Uh, it, but they lost by three. It was a, a close game. They beat Northeastern, who's considered to be one of the top three or four teams in the Colonial, which the Colonials regarded as actually a, a, a really solid mid-major conference. So I, I think that they're already more battle-tested. I think the the run that they made last year is is going to be something that they can lean on even without Burns. I like Colgate at anything under double digits for my best bet. I'm going to project it at seven. What do you think of that one? Yeah, um, you mentioned it. I, I backed Colgate yesterday uh, against NC State and uh, got off to a little bit of a shaky start and kind of hung around with the three ball. Uh, and that's how you beat teams badly. Um, I think Cornell not playing at all last season as the Ivy League just decided that they were going to look forward to 2022. Um, it, it's that's a really tough tough spot to go into. Uh, not really having played together. I mean, you can practice together, but it's not the same as a game type situation. And Colgate looks really good yesterday. I think uh, Jordan Burns going going to the G League, I think, is where he is now. Um, certainly was a big loss, but honestly, it didn't even look like he was gone. Uh, Cummings came in, made a ton of shots. Ferguson, as you mentioned. Uh, and, and honestly, their big guys were really impressive to me uh, against an NC State team that just lost a really important shot-blocking center. But ultimately, uh, Langle, as you mentioned, is a great coach, went right at it. Uh, they had a backup center coming in who was basically like taking the ball down low and either finding guys on the wing for open threes or literally were just laying the ball up every time. Uh, Could have certainly easily beaten NC State if one more shot drops, uh, had to foul late, and that's how the the the, the number got to three points. But um, it, it was never, ever a safe game in the second half. Colgate led for a, a fair amount, and I'm pretty impressed by them, and, and certainly I'm looking to back them as much as I can uh, as they play some of the bigger bigger uh, schools down the stretch. All right, where are you headed for your best bet? So I'm headed to another neutral site game, hoping to do a little bit better this time. Uh, this time to a the beautiful Uncasville, Connecticut. I think Mohegan Sun Casino is there uh, for going to go against NC State again with Oklahoma State. Um, Oklahoma State, who are angry as about as angry as you can be um, here in all of what Mike Boynton said about how uh, the NCAA is, is just backward looking blind, all the things that you could use. Uh, and they're a really, really talented team. I was actually looking at them when I was doing my future dive uh, to try to see exactly what that number was. I was like, I haven't seen that yet. And I feel like they only listed the best ones at the top. Uh, but since they're banned from the postseason, I feel like they're going to be out for blood every, every game they play. Um, really impressed with Oklahoma state last year, even without, with Cade Cunningham, uh, dealing with injuries and, and maybe being a little bit lackadaisical and, and, and his motivation or interest being all over the place. I feel like a lot of times Oklahoma state was better without him on the floor as weird as that is to say about a, a lottery pick. Um, but I think bringing in CSA from, from Memphis is going to be a great interior presence to really stop, uh, Sebron trying to drive to the basket. Uh, Jericho Helms was pretty bad yesterday. And I think they're really going to miss Manny Bates inside who just sustained a, a season ending injury. Currently projection is, is on Ken Palm is Oklahoma state, a two point favorite would play this all the way to three. Um, and, and I'm hoping that, I mean, it's, it's a Wednesday game starting at 8 PM tip off Eastern time. So we got a little while till this game starts, but, uh, I'm certainly eyeing the Cowboys as I think the pokes are, are a much better team and it's, they're a little too cheap on a neutral. What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't agree with you. I, I think, uh, Helms, uh, him, he's kind of the go-to guy for them. I think Cam Hayes may end up getting better for North Carolina state. 
Uh, but it, they lost a lot of guys, like losing DJ Funderburk, losing uh, Devin Daniels. I, I don't know that they really replaced those guys. Uh, and I, I guess Casey Morsell, who was with with, with Virginia, is, is maybe he'll help some, but I don't think he'll help much offensively. But look, Manny Bates was kind of going to be their their number two guy. And yeah, I, I think that's a big deal. I, I think losing him is a big deal for a team that already kind of lacked size. Now they're going to be forced into, I guess, playing for either true freshman or, or you know, maybe a, maybe a sophomore who who saw very few minutes last year in in Jalen Gibson. Maybe you see him play play more, but either way, I, I don't think that's a, a good sign. Uh, I'm not sure. Like I, I'm not in it enough to know like what the the motivation angle will be for Oklahoma State. Like I could see that going either way. I could see them being pissed off and wanting to just go out and smash people. But I could also see them, you know, a bunch of guys who came back and then now they're saying, like, what are we even here for? Uh, so I, I like I, the motivation angle doesn't it, it's I, I don't have a better as good of a feel for it as you seem to. But I do think like just from a, a, a talent standpoint, I like Oklahoma State a lot better here. Yeah, I mean, I could be wrong. It's it's probably a fool's errand trying to guess what motivates 18, 19 to 23 year olds. Um <laughs> Or uh, if, I, I could tell you what motivated me at 18, 19, and it <laughs> had nothing to do with basketball or totally. NCAA tournaments. Totally, totally. But, but yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see see how their season plays out. But I, I don't disagree with you as far as how they match up with this NC State team. Who, you know, like I mean, like it's funny. I'm I'm acting like they're not very good, and I just the team that I just put my best bet on lost to them. Uh, but this is a, I mean, they're a bottom half of the ACC type of team. This is not a team that, especially now, I think with this injury, I, I think that they're going to, to have some struggles this year. And I love when name brand schools have down years because you can usually get some extra value on them, a couple points that you probably shouldn't be getting. Uh, so, uh, NC state, I think falls into that category. Yeah, uh, I think NC State are just going to be really – their offense is going to be impaired without really anyone to go through inside. So they're going to be relying on Seabrun to drive. Helms, as a, he's kind of a driver as well. And I don't know that they have the three-point shooting that other teams are, are not going to be able to just collapse and, and sit their defense in and say, we'll, we'll dare you to make some threes in a casino lobby trying to make some shots. So Exactly. Um, I, I would try to for all the listeners out there and certainly something I'm going to try to keep my eyes peeled because I want to jump on this as soon as I see it because I think it's only going to move higher. Um, like I said, minus two is what Ken Palm's projecting might even come a little bit higher. And, and as I said before, I'm trying to be pretty disciplined on my favorites, but I, I think this is a number that will not be high enough no matter where it closes uh, unless unless something crazy happens and, and some some big money comes behind it. But I think maybe even raise this buy price to, to four points, I think is about as high as I'll go. Okay. All right, man. Well, there we go. Best bets, Colgate minus seven. We'll do a buy price up to nine and a half. And for Griffin, we will go Oklahoma State minus two projected buy price up to four uh, for our best bets. All right, man, that'll do it. We will do this again Thursday night and have it out Friday morning for you guys for the weekend card. Best of luck to you all. Best of luck to you, Griff. And we will see you guys down the road. Sounds good. Travel safe.